0: Hello and welcome to The Cricket Show on YYFM with myself, Blake Bint. And as always, I'm joined with Dan Whiting and Dan Davis. So, gentlemen, I don't think we've quite got over that uh, fifth day thriller between New Zealand and England yet. If you can just sum up your emotions from that final day uh, in a few words, Dan Whiting will go to you first.
1: Yeah, well it's uh, it's good to see you in a Joy Division T shirt there, Blake. It's fantastic to see, mate. So, yeah it's a shame it's a
0: shame only because
1: I thought you'd enjoy that one. Yeah, one one for the oldies like me. Um, <laughs> no, going back to this test match, what a wonderful advert for Test cricket. People said it's a lie it's dead in the, the water, the longer form game is finished. Well, it's, uh, you know, just makes them look silly, doesn't it? Games like this, because this was an absolute pearler.
0: It certainly was. And uh, we'll come on to some stats about the close margin later on. But Dan Davis, you were up to watch the uh, the dying end. Um, just how was your pulse with uh, that, that finish?
2: Oh yeah, uh, I I picked it up actually, I had, I was about to go to sleep but then um, I saw the notifications hop back on it, turned it on to see Ben, uh, saw folks get caught on the boundary um, and then I thought oh dear but we, we've still got Jimmy Anderson in there um, and I think Ollie Robinson was in there wasn't it, no it was Jack Leach wasn't it Jack
0: Leach. and obviously
2: Jack Leach has done it before so I thought we'll be alright then Jimmy hit the four, I thought oh surely we're there now. Um and yeah, nightmare. Just a tiny little faint tickle down the leg side. I think if he got any more on it, we'd have gone we would have won any less, you know, he would have missed it. Um so yeah, very fine margins and um very, very exciting, but also gutting.
1: Can I just say that I hope not too too many not too many of our listeners on YYFM were listening to that in hospital because it's not good for the heart, that sort of thing. I tell you, it's, it gives you a coronary games like that, I tell you.
0: Yeah, for me, I was I was led in bed, it was about two o'clock, and I thought, oh, I should probably check, check on the cricket. And then uh, it was, I think we needed 43 seeing folks and Robinson in. I thought, oh, I'll go watch this, go watch this finale, and then... Before, by the time I got downstairs, Robinson had already got out, and then, you know, the nerves were going even more. Forty-three, two wickets in hand, and obviously we fell just short. So um, we'll just come on to that end. We'll, we'll change it up. We normally start with obviously the toss and the first innings, but we will start with that ending and just the the controversial points to it. So um, right at the off the end, obviously Anderson. There was no argues. He did uh, tickle that down the leg side the ball before. And um, Neil Wagner with a, a short one, obviously trying to bring in the short leg and the keeper, as he did with the wicket ball. So there was appeals for a wide, the ball before Wagner eventually dismissed Anderson. Dan Whiting, what was your thoughts on that decision?
1: Well, it probably was a wide, wasn't it? But I, I don't want to see cricket going like football where, you know, umpires or referees in football are berated, etc., and I think you've just got to, you know, let the umpires make the decision and get on with it. And uh, it's one of those things. I mean, for New Zealand, it probably gets them back for the World Cup final a couple of years ago, doesn't it? It probably is their, their sort of, you know, re- revenge. But, I mean, I, I you just got to let the umpires make their decision and, and get on with the game one way or the other.
0: Yeah, Dan Davis, do you concur with uh, Dan Whiting on that one?
2: Yeah, I do. And I think if I had to make that trade I would have taken that World Cup win over winning this test match any time to be fair. So I think we've we've done better of the uh of the two nations. Um I think it would have been a shame to give it a wide, because we tied the test match off that, it just wouldn't have been what it was. It wouldn't have been as glorious, I don't think, as it was in the end, because even though we lost, I don't I don't think I really minded that much. It was such an exciting game of cricket to watch. I'm just glad that someone won. I mean it was amazing with- really.
1: I'm with you, Dan. I, I mean, I, you know, I think when these two sides get together, they produce fantastic games of cricket. And I'm not that bothered about losing, to be honest with you. I mean, if England had been stuffed out of sight and lost by 250 runs or whatever, yes, I would be pissed off. But, you know, it, it's just one of those things where you just got to, you know, take it on the chin, get on with it and, uh, and move on.
0: I agree. I think I would have taken that World Cup win over this Test match. Test cricket is my favourite format and I'm sure I speak for um, the majority of proper true cricket fans when when it comes to that. But one thing I'm disappointed with and it made me realise it with this Test match is I seriously dislike two match series because, you know, one nil up, okay, if we win then it makes it kind of exciting but this just wants you you know, this just warrants another game, doesn't it? It warrants a decider for for both captains, Ben Stokes being a New Zealand-born uh, man, um, Brendan McCullum as coach, you know. You want someone to have those bragging rights after such a thrilling game. And one of the stats I've got here, so it's the only the second one-run margin victory in 2,500 test matches. And that one was... Uh, I think it was 1993, Australia West Indies. Um, uh, Courtney Walsh got out somebody um, to win by one run, and it made the series 1-1 with a decider. I'm sure Dan Whiting. I'm sure you remember that one, um, Alan yeah, Border, it... captain Australia. You yeah, know, I it just it... It, it just warrants another Test match, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think he got out Murphy's. I, I agree completely with you, Blake, about the, you know, test matches are the ultimate. If you go out for a romantic meal with the missus and you have a lobster thermidor, you'll remember that meal for a long, long time. If you nip up to McDonald's and get a quick, like, cheeky, you know, quarter pounder with cheese, that'll go from the memory. And, you know, test matches are the lobster thermidor and T20s are the McDonald's of, of cricket.
0: Well, I absolutely love that comparison from you there, Dan. Um, so if we another another point actually at the end, obviously the wide last ball. Um, just very quickly, Dan Davis, thoughts on folks uh, turning down singles from Leach with still forty odd needed to win.
2: Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they have much faith in, in Jack Leach. They probably should do. Really, I mean. He's clearly capable of batting. He proved that when he was with Ben Stokes. I think maybe folks was trying to replicate what Stokes did in that Bad Ashes test a few years ago. And he almost did it, to be fair. So if it pulled it off, we wouldn't even be talking about this. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think, I think they need to back Jack Leachman more than they do with the bat because he's clearly capable of doing it. I think a lot of this England team can bat, to be fair. Um, I'm not sure why Jimmy Anderson started trying to smack the ball about, but um yeah maybe they should should have just left it to Jack Leach uh so yeah not sure I would have I would have backed him with the bat to be honest with you
0: yeah I think it's quite easy to say in hindsight I suppose and like you say Jack Leach a test best of 92 so he certainly can hold a bat so um like you said if we'd won that game then maybe it's a different story we wouldn't be discussing it um then the obvious uh, thing to kind of put your finger on on why we potentially lost this test match—that Harry Brook run out. Um, Joe Root has become a bit of a nuisance with running out partners in his career. Um, Dan Whiting, what do you make of that? Because you were singing, you've sang his praises the last three months. Um, you know, just how gutted were you when you saw that dismissed without even facing a ball as well.
1: Yeah, Root absolutely barbecued him, didn't he? <laughs> he absolutely, like, left him high and dry. But really, I mean, the top order again, there was some bizarre innings in the top order. I thought, uh, uh, Zach Crawley's was frenetic. Uh, I thought Ben Duckett didn't look as assured as he is. He, he likes to, to work the ball. He likes to let the ball come onto him and glide it away. And this time he had to actually the ball and um, you know he, he doesn't really move his feet. He's got the footwork of Douglas Bader at times, doesn't he, De- Ben Duckett? And uh, he he nicked off behind, and um, I just thought there were some strange shots. Ollie Pope didn't look all that calm, and it looked like the pressure was getting to that top order a little bit because two five eight is a tricky total in the fourth innings. It shouldn't have been because that pitch was good. It was still good on the fifth day. It had a little bit of bounce. It was, you know, popping a little bit, but it was only popping. It wasn't keeping low. You know, it was only doing... You don't mind if it does one or the other. It's when it does both. That's when you're in trouble. If it either pops and then keeps low, that's when it starts to get, you know, a bit perilous batting. But I think it was it was lifting a little bit, but you should be able to ride the bounce. And I thought, you know, Root, Root's getting a lot of stick for running Harry Brook out, but really... I thought the top order could have contributed more.
0: Do you think he did enough to recover the mistake? I mean, 95, it's difficult to say in hindsight how many Brooke would have made, of course, but do you think 95 is enough to say, look, I've done my job despite my error. Someone else should have taken care of it.
1: No, because he didn't go on and win the game. Root would have got 130 not out and we'd have won by five wickets, six wickets or four wickets or whatever. So, um, no, no, I'm joking. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It is. Um,
0: Dan, I'm sure you were screaming at your TV as well. Um, do you – would you agree that – I mean, Root, it's hard to say if he did enough, top order, looked kind of um, – out of sorts compared to how they've played for the last three months, but also credit to the New Zealand bowlers.
2: Yeah, to be fair. I mean, when Matt Henry came back in, I mean, he wasn't as important in the second innings as he was in the first, but all the teamers did really well. I think Neil Wagner played particularly well. He bowled well at the end. Tim South, he bowled really well. And I think we have to give the New Zealand teamers a lot of credit. Um, I feel like when... When Root because Root and Stokes put on about 120 runs, we only needed 57 runs to win with five wickets in hand. When Stokes got out, and then Root got out immediately afterwards, I could have, you know, I thought Root maybe did think he'd done enough. Um, if it wasn't for those two wickets, because I, I they two in quite quick succession, unfortunately, um, that were our undoing really, because then Broad came in and you know you know what Broad's like, um, yeah. I don't know I I think he batted well and I'm glad to see him scoring some runs again even if he did run out Harry Brook because it was great to watch him score that 100 on the uh, the first day and to finish not out and which is exactly what you want with us going into the ashes very soon just to see Root getting some form again so um I think he did well even if he did run Harry Brook out and I think he would have felt that he had done enough despite despite that mistake
0: Yeah we spoke about his mistake last week of kind of getting out to some over adventurous shots but i didn't realize how much of a kind of common myth it's become that he's not been successful under basketball because he's he's averaged i think above 60 and he's still striking at about 75 80 so you know he's he's doing his job but maybe just not in a manner of, of everyone's notice because everyone else around him is actually performing but um, if we go to where the game potentially turned on its head, New Zealand finding their feet five half-centurions in that second innings and Southie potentially, well, giving them that kind of platform by 73 or 49 in that first innings. Dan Whiting, I feel like everyone who's followed cricket the last 10, 15 years knows Southie can have a bit of a slog, but were you expecting that from him?
1: No, it wasn't at all. And uh, it was... Uh... You know, the uh, England got a bit of their just desserts, didn't they, with that that knock? Um, but I mean, you know, I think someone had to go and do it. What were they? Two oh nine all out were they? I think in the end, New Zealand. Yeah. And someone had to go in and try and change the game, try and take the game to the opposition, and that's what England have been so good at in recent months or recent series is taking the game to the opposition and so much of cricket is played in the head, you know, and it's a confidence game. And if you can take the game to the opposition, if it comes off, you know, often you can demoralise your oppo.
0: Dan Davis, uh, I saw an interview with Ben Stokes after the game about how um, it was potentially a bit arrogant to enforce a follow-on with a very good pitch only the fourth ever win again, 2,500 test matches in history. Only the fourth ever one where the team following on has won the match. Um, you know, that sort of stat just goes to show, was it slightly too much from Stokes? Did he overdo it? Um,
2: I, I think they bowled so well, They probably and they weren't out on the field for that long. I think they thought, Do you know, what, we can have another go at this. Because, I, I mean... Broad did clean up that tail in the day. I know Salby put on 98 runs for that eighth wicket. But other than that, they did get through them. And I think they, the bowlers probably seemed quite fresh because it was the start of the third day when they started bowling again. So I think they thought they had it in them to just run through them again and then chase a pretty small total, which obviously didn't happen. But I don't think it was too arrogant. I was more interested in the decision to declare... Um, with two wickets left in hand on in the first innings. I'm not one hundred percent sure why why we actually did that, because we could have scored, you know, the runs that made the difference in that that second in, in that first innings with those two wickets left. So if there was any decision I would question over the the four the five days from Ben Stokes, it would have been that one to declare as opposed to enforcing the follow-on.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was gonna come on to that first uh, innings declaration as well because it kinda of seemed like one where we didn't seem particularly rushed, but um Ben Stokes obviously wanted to. But first I just want to mention um Dan, you Dan Whiting, you wanted to point out last week about Broad's Nighthawk um tendencies. Why don't we discuss Harry Brook having a having a trundle, Graham Gooch like, I guess you could say, um, with his little medium paces and strangling Williamson down the leg side for Over 100,
1: with 130. 132 Um, he got, yeah. He's a lovely player, Kane Williamson, though, isn't he? He really is. He's he's one for the connoisseurs. Um, I think credit to New Zealand for putting up that sort of total because, I mean, going back to the follow-on, I'd have have been forced to follow on because I thought that pitch was only going to get better and better as the game went on. I thought it started off very green and they possibly overwatered it because I think they were scared of it cracking up. And I think it it had a little bit of juice in it on the first day, the first two days. But then I thought it was only going to get better and better. So, you know, I, I'd have gone for the follow-on. But credit to New Zealand. Kane Williamson bad out of his skin. And then the two Toms having a scrap. It was like the alleyway behind my house with a couple of Toms having a fight there. Blundell and Latham. They bad well. And, um, you know, credit. Daryl Mitchell bad well as well. He came to the party for the first time in the series as well. He's a good cricketer. So... You know, as, as Dan Davis said, I think sometimes you've just got to give the opposition credit and New Zealand scrapped their way out of it.
0: Yeah, Dan Davis, was it only a matter of time for you? I mean, Tom Latham's done it for a number of years. Devon Conway's looked good since his debut three years ago. Mitchell had a very good last year and Blundell's just carried on doing what he's been doing. Do you think it was a matter of time they all came together and actually put on a, a big total of in excess of 400?
2: I think it was always possible they've all been so successful over recent years um um you know Kane Williamson is now as of that test New Zealand's highest ever test run score he's just overtaken Ross Taylor so there was every chance that that would happen um particularly as our bowlers were bowling immediately again having just finished that first di- first So I can't imagine they were too tired but you know it must take it out of you a fair bit um so so yeah no I um I think it was always going to happen at some point. It was always going to have to come together because this New Zealand side is too good to to be scoring what they were scoring in those other innings we've seen over the two test matches. So yeah, I think it was inevitable that they would have a good day as they did.
1: Yeah, there's some good players in that that, uh, Kane Williamson's gone past as well. You know, people like John Wright back in the day was a very good player. Glenn Turner back in the day was a very good player. Martin Crow was a decent player. Stephen Fleming. So it goes to show what a good, good player Kane Williamson is. But the one who hasn't scored runs in this series I'm surprised about is Devon Conway because I think he's a, uh, you know, I think he's quality as we saw I think he got a big one at Lordston a couple of years ago and we just couldn't get him out and uh Was that on is, debut uh, as well? Double hundred was it on debut? I think it was, yeah. He's a fine player. Um and he's uh he was at Somerset, wasn't he, for a little bit last year. And uh he's a he's a solid opening batsman, but luckily England England got the marker on him this time. It
0: was and uh certainly potentially we um Took them for granted slightly, like you said, Dan Davis, with that declaration in the first innings. Um, I, I would actually agree that that was a stranger decision than the follow-on, but maybe he felt with the rain affected, he was always going to try force a result, and um, he was he was still positive the fact that the match had a result because it deserved one at the end, even if it was uh, was Ben Stokes's side on the wrong end of it. So it was a it was a great series, and uh, before we go. We're going to upset all of our listeners who are probably going to disagree with all three of us because we're going to name our 11 for the first Ashes test, um, which is coming this summer. Of course, we've got a one-off test with Ireland before that. But, um you know, the Ashes is what everyone wants to win if you're an England or New Zealand, uh, England or Australia rather fan. Um So we'll go position by position. So the openers. Dan Whiting, who have you gone
1: for? Uh, Well, I'm torn. I wouldn't go for Zach Crawley. Uh, I would go, I think Johnny Bairstow's got to fit back in this side, so I'd probably go with Johnny Bairstow to open. Um, But if they fancy sort of a proper red ball opener, I would go, and this is a left field pick, for a man who wasn't really given a proper chance by England about 10 years ago and he's always scored a lot of runs in county cricket, and that's Sam Robson. Sam Robson. I had a feeling you were going to say that name. Yeah, I'm a Middlesex man, so a bit, uh, you know, bit of bias there, and Sam's a good guy. I'd go for Ben Duckett there as well, alongside him. I think Ben Duckett's done enough to, to keep his place in that side. Dan
0: Davis, are you going uh, Duckett and Crawley, or are you uh, having a change-up?
2: Oh, I'm afraid not. I'm um I'm changing it up. I'm also going for Johnny Burstow. Um I thought about Keaton Jennings, but he's just had a few cracks at it, hasn't he? He scored so many runs in division one. He had such a good average, but he's had a few goes at it and I just I just don't see it happening for him, unfortunately. So I've gone with Johnny Burstow and I've also paired him with uh, Ben Duckett this time.
0: Well for my team I've um I've gone with similar personnel to what the team currently knows. But um I'm I'm mixing it up slightly. I've gone duck it and I'm actually gonna go Pope because batting at three I think is a natural progression. Um so I'm going with Pope at the top and Baerstow will fit in my team. But if you go down the same route as you, Dan Whiting, I actually put uh Adam Lyde in my honourable mentions if you want a proper opener. Um I thought he had a good twenty twenty two. He's Past thirty now, but I think he's the type of man who would have that sort of series. But for now, I think I'm going Duckett and Pope.
1: Yeah, uh, for me, for me, lies nicks off a bit too much. He's um, he's like Lenny Henry in his younger days when he was dating Dawn French. He's often out chasing a wide one. <laughs> Dan, and
0: we we'll never get enough of these uh enough, enough of these comparisons when this series ends um moving on swiftly we'll go to three to five i think um so dan davis do you want to start us off this time
2: yeah mine's totally unchanged from the series i've gone with pope root and brooke i don't really feel i've got any reason to change that unless you you open with pope as you said um i've looked at a few other middle order players but those were the the three I thought I'd stick with after the ser- the series they've had recently in Pakistan and also in New Zealand. So I'm gonna keep my faith in those three.
1: Yeah, that likewise, thing. likewise Pope, Root, Brook. Yeah, the options uh, certainly
0: speak for themselves there. So I've um, you you'll see where I'm going with mine as I open with Pope. So I'm actually going Root at three, Brook at four, Bearst at five because I just think Besto is still, even though he had such a good year last year, I think for me, it'd be too risky sticking him against a too new of a ball because he's so set up for a one day style, um, you know, not much foot movement. And I think he's, he's too prone to that. So I think at five, um, that's my place for him. So, um, and I was torn between having Root or Brook at three, but I think Root's the, the man for the job. And, um, Brook, I think eventually he's going to become England's number four, so it may be a bit early, but only time will tell, I suppose. Um, So I I assume we all go Stokes at six if he's fit. Yep. Um, And then so the wicketkeeper. Any any changes? I've gone Folks. I've gone Folks as well.
2: Yeah.
1: Go on. Sorry, Dan. Go on.
2: Well, I thought. I've looked at other middle-order players and thought, maybe if you've got Bester on the side, you can add another middle-order batsman. But I've really kind of thought, folks, it's justified his place in this team. I don't see any reason to change it. I'm perfectly happy with him batting at seven. I think he's doing a great job there. So I'm going to stick with him.
1: Yeah, I'm always a believer that you play your best keeper. You know, if someone drops Steve Smith when he's on three and he goes on and gets 250, You know, it it sort of counteracts picking that sort of extra batsman. So I would go, folks, he's the man in charge, but there are some good other keepers around. John Simpson's a a quality keeper, got a thousand runs last year for Middlesex, and he's one of the best glove men around in the country. A lot of
0: experience in England as well, of course, played a long time.
1: Yeah, and, um, you know, James Bracey as well. He's a very good cricketer. He's, uh, his keeping's improved a hell of a lot, I think, uh, since, you know, he got his England call a couple of years ago, or three years ago it was now, and he's a very good batsman as well. So there are people pushing on the door of Ben Folks, and competition for places is always a good thing.
0: Yeah, it is. And I think that keeper role is one that's never been a certainty uh, in the last few years for England. Um, so they've come on to 8-11s, um, to 11, generally going to be the bowlers, I assume. So, Dan Davis, would you like to kick us off?
2: Yeah, I've gone with the same as this series. I was really torn. So I've gone with Robinson, Leach, Broad and Anderson. I was really, really torn between Archer and Robinson. I don't know how fit Archer will be. What form he'll be in, but I think Robinson's done enough to to keep his place in this side. I'd like to see a bit of Mark Wood and Matthew Potts as well, but at the minute I don't see a reason to change that seeming lineup. Obviously, rihan Ahmed played well in Pakistan, so there's a there's a uh, you could say he could be with the sh- with the shout of replacing Jack Leach, but I think the way we played, you know, this side's won ten of its last twelve Test matches without changing too much, so. I think I'd leave
1: it as is to be fair. I'm the same. I'd go with the same lineup. A little bit of a worry. Robinson at eight. The tail is uh you know it's longer than the Brontosaurus, isn't it? A little bit there, so you've got to be a little bit careful. But I think with a five match series, those bowlers aren't gonna get through a five match series, especially Anderson and Broad at their end. And I expect Archer Wood, Chris Wokes, uh Matty Potts. Mahmoud Stone might play a part. And then with a spin option, if Jack Leach isn't bowling well, again, as you said, Dan, Ryan Ahmed's got a chance or uh, Matt Parkinson might get a go as well.
0: Yeah, if you look at what Ben Stokes said, just to reiterate what you said there, Dan Whiting, he wants nine seamers fit for this series. So, you know, you've got Robinson, Archer, Broad, Anderson, Potts, Stone, Mahmoud, as you said, Wokes even, has got the experience. I couldn't think of a better eight than Ollie Robinson. I mean, like I said, long tail, but I couldn't think of anyone else that would actually strengthen our bowling attacks. I think it has to be him. Um, And then this is potentially where I've gone more controversial than the top order. I'm actually, I would say our best 11 would have Archer, Broad and Anderson. I think you just pick your best bowlers. West Indies did it in their great era. They had four seamers and Viv Richards bowled a bit of off spin if he had to, as Joe Root would. Um, Of course, you know, it was flexible for Jack Leach or any other spinner alternative you'd want but I think after what Joffre did to Steve Smith in 2019 you can't rule him out if he's fit um, and like I said Broad and Anderson as well with their fitness going wayward potentially in a five match series you've got to stay flexible for that
1: yeah the only thing that worries me is um, you know are a lot of right arm overs there aren't there in the equation so I would, um, you know, it'd be nice to see someone coming through offers something a little bit different. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they go with and who, you know, who comes through and who gets injured because there will be injuries. It's an Ashes series. There's bound to be injuries.
0: Do either of you have have any potential surprise options we might see? Maybe not feature, but going forward for the squad potentially.
1: I like the look of Tom Price at Gloucestershire. I've seen a lot of him. I don't think he's quite ready yet. Um, but he got an eight for last year against Warwickshire on good Bristol pitches as well. And I like the look of him. I think he's got a little bit about him. Toby Roland Jones is another one. He's had a lot of injuries. He averages under 20 with the ball for England, and he's a he's a very good cricketer. But he's he's had a hell of a lot of injuries. If he can stay fit, I think he's still only 33, which isn't that old when you compare him to Broad and Anderson or even me. So uh, there you go. But uh, yeah, I think that, I mean I think there's some really good seamers around in the country. I think they're, uh, the other one um, is uh, Fisher at Yorkshire, who played uh, a little bit a few years ago. He's had a bad time with injuries, but I thought he was the best bowler that I saw at Bristol last year from the opposition.
0: Dan Davis, you mentioned Ryan Ahmed. Have you got any other potential surprise packages?
1: Um, well, a mate of mine, George,
2: plays for Warwickshire. And I've done a lot of watching him play and I've done a lot of watching them and I really like Ollie, Ollie Helen dolby I love Liam Norwell as well. I'm a Gloucester fan, so uh, Liam Norwell did really, really well at Gloucestershire and he did amazingly on that final day to keep Warwick's for in Division 1. So there are a few like that. I've done a bit of watching Sam Hain, Tom Abel. Tom Abel's just been injured, unfortunately, so he can't play in the limited over series. But there's a few, and obviously Dan Lawrence as well, Will Jacks, they all played, so... There's a lot of people that I think could have a go. Even Wayne Mazden scored a lot of runs this year, but I think he might be a, a little bit past it now.
0: He, he's changed nationality. He's playing for
2: Italy, isn't he? Oh, I didn't know that. I know he wanted to play at England, for England at some point because he's South African, isn't he?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Berkey's had a word with him. Gareth Berg's now the Italian coach and he's had a little uh, word with him. we going back to Oliver Hannan-Dolby. I spoke to Jack Brooks a couple, about a year ago. And I said, he's got one of the poshest names in cricket. And Jack Brooks said, he's not that posh, mate. He's from Halifax. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I like
0: your Lions route, um, Dan Davis. I do like your England Lions route. Um, I also noted Jamie Smith, who's been very good in the county championship. And also um, Josh Bahanan from Lancashire. Um, and there's a guy from, he played for Durham. Um, I'm, I'm going to edit this out because Dan White and you probably know his name. Guy played for Durham. um South African, but he could be eligible for England. Do you know his name? Top Order what? Batter.
1: Uh Top Order Batter, uh Durham.
0: Yeah. Uh... I
1: can't lie. Uh... I, I don't think he's, there he's anymore. Dark. Anyway, we, we can ignore him. Yeah, um, only, Durham have up. got a player called Stanley though. They've got a young lad coming through called Stanley Macalindon, and there's not that many Stanleys coming through in professional sport these days. There's is not. There? No, there aren't actually. Um, I right, used to
2: play with Mitchell Stanley from Worcestershire.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we've
0: only got a minute and a half, so I'm gonna to have to wrap this up. Oh yeah. yeah go
1: sure.
0: on. Okay, gentlemen. Well, thank you for that, and uh, listeners, of course. Let us know um, if you have any opinion on that Test 11 for the first Ash Test, which is going to be exciting and hopefully a great summer for English cricket. 10 wins in the last 12, previously 10 from the last 11. But what a thriller against New Zealand. And it's been an absolute pleasure to comment on it with these two gentlemen. So for now, we will have to wrap this up. But hopefully we will get some stuff going forward for uh, the English summer But until then, it's goodbye from me.
1: It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.